Down in the willow garden where me and my love did meet. Oh, there we sit a courtin', my love dropped off to sleep. I had a bottle of burglar's wine, which my true love did not know. And there I poisoned my own true love down under the banks below. I drew my saber through her, which was a bloody knife. I threw her in the river, which was a dreadful sight. My father always taught me that money would set me free if I'd murdered that pretty little miss, whose name is Rose Connolly. He's sitting now in his own cottage door, a-wiping his weeping eyes, a-looking at his own dear son upon the scaffold high. My races run beneath the sun, though hell's now waiting for me. I did murder that pretty little miss, whose name is Rose Connolly. The first recorded lyrics of Rose Connolly were Down in the Willow Garden, a traditional Appalachian murder ballad. This is Our Numinous Nature, and I'm your host, Philippe. We'll be hearing the profound stories of people with a deep connection to the natural world, from herbalists to hunters, wildlife rehabilitators to trappers, artists to homesteaders. The list goes on. My hope is to thread a needle that weaves together the many nature-related passions through stories of reverence. In nature, I've found meaning, a richness for life that grows with each new day. Maybe you feel the same. Or maybe you long to. In that intro, we've got more music um, on the mandolin by our caving friend and now the uh, the most recent podcast guest, Earl Suter. So thank you again, Earl, for providing some music to this podcast. For today's episode, we are speaking with Mike Oosley, who is an artist, um, one could say a folk artist, and this episode is just so fun. We talk about so much, so many folkloric topics, and um, I would say this is a true statement, that I have never met someone who is so imbued with the folklore of their region, of place, and I would certainly, you know, if I could travel further, if I could travel back to Europe and stuff like that, I would love to, to find guests like Mike who are just so, so full of the folklore. They've lived it and felt it and, um, and are, have become an incredible storyteller on behalf of their culture's folklore. You're going to hear all, all about it today. I'm not going to force you to have to listen to me go on and on about art again, but I just wanted to make a quick statement that if you listen to an old episode of the podcast from this summer with Jim McDowell, who is an African-American outsider artist, he's working in the face jug tradition of the American South, and he his whole thing is he feels extremely connected to his enslaved ancestors and kind of channeling the spirit, the sorrow, um, the rage, all sorts of stuff like that into his art, into his face jugs. And I bring him up because if you listen to that one, I did a long intro kind of just about my opinions about what art is. And I'm just slightly reiterating here that I feel like um, people like Mike on today's episode and people like Jim, 
are the real deal of what an artist is. There are many sculptors, there are many painters, but there are very few artists. And to me, that is someone who is doing something of incredible depth. They're channeling something, whether that's their ancestors like Jim, whether that is the soul and spirits of place like Mike, or, you know, like many other famous artists, um, like someone like Alex Gray, who's, who's clearly channeling uh, another dimension, one of the psychedelic dimension. So I'll stop there. I just love art. I loved art history. I love talking with artists and I just love creativity. <laughs> okay. Now I would say stop listening to the podcast, hit pause and go to Mike's Instagram account, which is Mike underscore Oosley underscore art. Oosley spelled O-U-S-L-E-Y. I'll have links to his website, to his Instagram and to his gallery. If you're interested in buying a painting uh, in the show notes, I would hit pause and spend a few minutes looking at his wonderfully evocative and storytelling paintings. So this episode came to be because I was taking a squirrel hunting trip to Kentucky to squirrel hunt with my dog's breeder. And I, it was a long drive and I really wanted to be able to get at least one, two, three podcasts out of such a long trip. And Mike's is the first. I was really hoping to interview my squirrel dog breeder. And I think he said yes next time I, for next time I see him. But on the way home, a little sneak peek for the next podcast is a super macabre episode about 19th, early 19th century medical oddities with a professor at Transylvania University who is the curator of a wild collection of oddities and curiosities. Now, I wanted to say thank you to everyone on Patreon because uh, your help helps me do things like drive to Kentucky to interview people. Um, we've got two new folks on uh, Patreon. We've got Earl, the last podcast guest, and we've got uh, R.A., very mysterious. And to everyone else who's already been on Patreon for a while, um, we have Jess Paget. Thank you so much. Ash Barron, On Stanley, Bailey Grenert, Franklin Renshaw, Heron O'Brien, Jamie Nudd, James Mann, Jeff, Leslie Peterson Cohen, Rambler, Ryan Goekner, Steve and Steve Enchilds, Tristan Harper, Tyler Lively, and the Working Class Woodsman. Very cool name there. And everyone at the lower tiers, thank you. Thank you. Really awesome. I hope everyone's having a good holiday season. Now, for this week's readings, the theme is going to be devil dogs. When I asked Mike about them and he had his own personal stories and ones from his community, I was so pumped because the devil dog is a theme I've been super interested in lately regarding regional folklore. So I kind of had this idea that I said to him in the conversation that perhaps these stories came with the immigrants. It came with the people who left the United Kingdom, the Scotch-Irish and the English, and who came into Appalachia. Perhaps they brought, just like folk music, just like the ballads that traveled, just like the instruments that came with them, just like the whiskey that, um, you know, the Scotch that became whiskey. 
um, perhaps these stories came with them too, like a, the folklore creature of the devil dog. Now there is devil, there is dog, mysterious dog uh, mythology and folklore from all over the world. But I, but I do see a similarity with the the kind of story from the United Kingdom and the ones from Appalachia. So I thought it'd be super cool to first read one from the United Kingdom, then read one from old Virginia. And then when you listen to the podcast, you get to hear one right from Mike. So it's kind of like that evolution of folklore. This first reading is from Black Dog Folklore by Mark Norman. This was published in a scathing pamphlet on the prison in 1638, entitled The Discovery of a London Monster Called the Black Dog of Newgate. In the reign of Henry III, there was a severe famine which affected the inmates of the jail. A scholar, suspected of witchcraft, was thrown into the prison where he was immediately eaten by the starving men and pronounced as good meat. Subsequently, a black dog appeared at night with eyes of red and jowls that dripped with blood. It proceeded to tear the prisoners apart. Others were frightened to death and the rest escaped from the jail after having killed their warders. However, the dog still hunted them down and dispatched them too. Once all of the inmates who had been involved in the cannibalism were killed, the dog vanished. Although the story is a self-contained one, the myth still perpetuates to this day. It is said that a shapeless form moves along the top of the wall along the route which ran from the prison to the gallows site, which used to be known as Dead Man's Walk. When the shape appears, a nauseous smell is apparent, and dragging footsteps can be heard. At Tring, in Hertfordshire, a black dog sighting is recorded in Chambers' Book of Days in 1888. Within the parish of Tring, but about three miles from the town, a poor old woman was, in 1751, drowned for suspected witchcraft. A chimney sweep, who was the principal perpetrator of this atrocious deed, was hanged and gibbeted near the place where the murder was effected. While the gibbet stood and long after it had disappeared, the spot was haunted by a black dog. The writer was told by the village schoolmaster, who had been abroad, that he himself had seen this diabolical dog. I was returning home, said he, late at night in a gig with the person who was driving. When we came near the spot where a portion of the gibbet had lately stood, we saw on the bank of the roadside, along which a ditch or narrow brook runs, a flame of fire as large as a man's hat. What's that? I exclaimed. Hush, said my companion, all in a tremble. And suddenly, pulling in his horse, made a dead stop. I then saw an immense black dog lying on the road just in front of our horse, which also appeared trembling with fright. The dog was the strangest looking creature I ever beheld. He was as big as a Newfoundland and very gaunt, shaggy, with long ears and tail, eyes like balls of fire, and large, long teeth, for he opened his mouth and seemed to grin at us. He looked more like a fiend than a dog, and I trembled as much as my companion. In a few minutes, the dog disappeared, seemed to vanish like a shadow, or to sink into the earth, 
and we drove on over the spot where he had lain. The same canine apparition is occasionally still witnessed at the same place or near it. From Virginia Folk Legends, edited by Thomas E. Barden, a devil dog comes for a slave owner. Miss Mary Carter, interviewed by James Taylor Adams in Glamorgan, Wise County, on March 17, 1941. One time there was an old man. He was a rich old man and owned a whole passel of slaves. I think he lived in Kentucky. Maybe it was North Carolina. I don't remember. He was awful wicked. They said he'd been married four or five times and all his wives took sudden sick and died or was found dead. All his wives had had a lot of money and when they died, he got it. Well, I've heard Pa say that when this old man's slaves died, he wouldn't let nobody come and help bury him. It was thought that he killed his slaves. Well, when he came to die, a passel of his neighbors gathered in to set up with him. It was about midnight, and he's awful low, expecting him to die any minute. All at once, they heard a noise at the door. Somebody opened the door, and there stood a big black dog. It had eyes as big as saucers, and they looked like balls of fire. The dog just walked right in and reared up on the foot of the bed and looked at the old man. He screamed and tried to get out of bed. He said it was the devil come after him. He just fell back and was dead in a minute. The dog then just turned and walked out, and nobody ever seed it again. Well, right now we're sitting here talking. We're in uh, eastern Kentucky, and... Um, you know that's that's where I'm from. That's where I uh, grew up. Uh, from Floyd County, Kentucky, which is uh, you know kind of the southeastern part of Kentucky, and uh, and it's along. We we were just talking about being along the country music highway, and a lot, a lot of people would know maybe traveling down 23. They they've gone down through there, and that's where uh, it's named after a lot of country music stars like uh, you know D- uh, Dwight Yoakam or Patty Loveless and the Judds and you know, different, uh, different artists. And, you know, I always thought there was a lot of, uh, creatives that are from, uh, you know, you find a lot of creative people com- coming out of, uh, Eastern Kentucky, you know, whether it's, uh, musicians, you know, you, you know, not just mainstream like country music, but, you know, you want to think about, uh, folk life, uh, all of the, uh, all of the uh, folk artists and craftsmen and folk musicians, like the bluegrass people. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got uh, really great bluegrass artists like uh, Ricky Skaggs. He's uh, Keith Whitley. They're they're mm-hmm. from around this area, and um, and right over the the Virginia line because you got like Ralph Stanley's right over the ridge off, um, down from eastern uh, southern eastern Kentucky. Right oh over yeah, the, the Cl- Clinch Mountains. Yeah, Clinch Mountains. Uh, Dr. Ralph. There's, so we just recently started watching the, um, me and my lady, we started watching the um, the Ken Burns country. I don't really like country music or not like modern country music, but I definitely love like old time music or I like folk music from all over the world. But the the first episode of that Ken Burns country music documentary, have you seen it? I'd, 
I don't I don't know what you're talking about, but I don't I haven't watched it yet. It's incredible because his Ken Burns' whole thing is like the most amazing old archival photographs and you get to see them in perfect quality. But it's all about kind of what you're talking about right now. Like they're talking about Ralph Stanley, the bottom the Virginias, all you know, in the in mm-hmm. the all this musician. It's so cool, man. Well, I love that kind of music because a lot of it's uh, a lot of it's storytelling which is a, a big tradition in uh, Eastern Kentucky. You know, pe- people will tell these, uh, have a big, rich tradition of storytelling, oral storytelling. And um, it's it just extends right into bluegrass music because there's songs about, uh, you know, there's like m- murder ballads. I, those and, are my favorite. Yeah, and just, just other stories too. Sto- you know, it, it could be, go- there's ghost stories like uh, I can think of several that are like that and and just uh, you know stories about trains and mama and being thrown in jail and breaking out of jail <laughs> and different things like that but um uh you know I always love that music my dad my dad would drive around he'd always be listening to uh bluegrass on like on an AM station and uh my grandparents had a, like a 8 track record player thing it looked like a big uh, cabinet you know and you just open the top of this sucker up it was huge <laughs> and you sh- and shove an eight track in there and you could listen to they had like ralph stanley and stuff mm, mm. and got i think doc gospel. doc watson's versions of all the murder ballads are probably my favorite like the omi wise the um auto auto why didn't you run do you know that one auto van wood or something yeah. he's, a, he's he shoots a cop or something or the cops shoot him and then there's um, what's this? What's the most famous one? Not the, it's not only wise. What's this? The, there's one that's like in, there's more than I can sit here and name uh, because there's a lot of them. Yeah, uh, one of the biggest ones I'd say is probably Pretty Polly. Yep, Ralph yep. Stanley sang it with mm-hmm. uh, Patty Loveless, and you was talking about Omi Wise. That that is a big one. And uh, wait, is Omi Wise the one? Is Omi Wise the one where? Um, this young woman is enamored by this man and they he takes her away and they're by either a river or a lake and he says he doesn't want to marry her so he throws her into the water yeah yeah that's a, that's what happens in only wise it's kind of based on a true story i don't uh i think i think uh, this the real story was maybe from north carolina or okay. somewhere somewhere in there but you know i, I always wondered if if uh some somebody told me a lot of the murder ballads, like they might be based on the same story, and mm. they're just like different made up versions of mm. the same thing that happened one time. But no, I don't think I don't me I don't think that's the case because mm. you know e- Eastern Kentucky gets a pretty bad rap for being a violent place, <laughs> all kinds of feuds and things so, like that. Okay. So there's more than one killing. Yeah. There's plenty of them to go around. I say there's plenty of you know actual stories about. Uh, I've heard that one of them. One of the main songs, it might be Tom Dooley, I can't remember, uh, comes from the old world. Like it comes from Ireland or it comes from England, and the immigrants brought the song with them. I, I can't remember which one it was. Hang but. Down Your Head, Tom Dooley. Yeah, that's that, yeah, that's a murder ballad, and and there's some obscure ones. It, the, Ralph Stanley sang one about a, an underground river, you know. He, hmm. he, he was out pl- uh, playing as a kid, and he found like a cave. And and went down, and there was a river underground, you know, like in a cave system or something, and it was just roaring and, and gushing everywhere. And so he he uh, tied a string so he could find his way in and out, and he'd go down there and look at that river. And then and later on, uh, 
you know, he gets his finds a sweetheart and she's untrue to him, and that's the that's kind of the setup for a lot of those murder ballads. And I, I guess things went go south. He he takes her to see the river underground, and he comes out. She don't. What's but the title of that? It's called the River Underground, and I was always like that song blew me away because the first thing I thought was like, uh, how's anybody make something like that up? Mm. You know, that's that's pretty crazy. Mm. <laughs> so so um, that's amazing on multiple levels. One, I just did an episode with our friends who are deep into caving, and they've taken us to caves in West Virginia. Uh, in Virginia, where there are underground rivers, and it's one of the most amazing things ever. Um, yeah. You know what that reminds me of? I mean, I know we're just going right in on it, but that, on this podcast, but that's fine. Um, so, one genre of writing that I absolutely love is the Southern Gothics. Do you have you ever read some of the Southern Gothics? I, I, you have to give me. An so example. it's like Cormac McCarthy who did. Um, the movie No Country for Old Men was based off his book. So Cormac McCar- so there's Cormac McCarthy, there's Flannery O'Connor. She's from maybe Georgia. Um, so basically, and then Faulkner, supposedly Edgar Allan Poe was like the beginning of the Southern Gothic genre, but what it was, which is what I feel like your paintings kind of are. We're going to get in all that. But uh, the Southern Gothic literature, I think it started early 1900s, 1950s, um, Cormac McCarthy is one of my all-time favorite authors. He's still alive, but um, he, I think in the seventies, he moved to, I think Tennessee and he lived in the mountains in like a little cabin and wrote two insanely haunting books about Appalachia. One of them is called, um, one of them is called Outer Dark and it's about a brother and sister who have a baby together. And that's like the very first few pages and the brother puts the baby out in the woods to kill it, let it die in the woods. And a tinker, a traveling tinker finds the baby and takes the baby. And that's like the beginning of the, of the book. It's incredibly haunting. His other book is called Child of God. Another um, one in Appalachia with this like roaming pervert murderer who you know is like looking into people's like little houses and gets into some real sordid, super insanely dark stuff. And the end of it, ends in a cave. And that's why you reminded me of it because he's running, the law is coming down on him and he is, he was putting bodies like in a cave and he's like uh, just going deeper and deeper into the cave system. And man, that one will make your hair stand stand up. But so the Southern Gothic genre was about, I guess there was this notion that the South um, was like a place of incredible uh, etiquette and politeness and um, hospitality you know, like a very, um, just a place of beauty and stuff like that. So these writers were kind of trying to show the dark side of the South. So like strange things in society that people hide away, whether it's race relations or like outcasts in society, like people missing limbs and stuff like that, or um, criminals and weirdos. But I, your artwork, I love so much because it has an element of the Southern Gothic. It has an element of kind of like the wildness, you know, you got images of like fights at funerals and stuff like that. Well, I think maybe I'd, I know a lot of those criminals and weirdos. (laughs) (laughs) I got, uh, I got some pretty interesting characters in the the family and just like right around where I grew up. But, 
you know, all that all that makes sense to me. I've always heard about, you know, outlaws and things like that hiding out in caves and and uh, and stuff. But yeah, that that song in particular was uh I, I, I just didn't feel like it could be really just fabricated mm-hmm. out of the blue. No, that was probably real. Yeah. Um, okay. So here maybe here's a good way to start this off. Um so I think we could start. Do you consider yourself? So you're a painter. All right. Well, okay. I'm so excited to be doing this podcast with you because we've talked a little bit on Instagram and I honestly feel like you are probably one of my favorite living artists. And I, thank you. I think I've said it before on this podcast. I think I have very strong opinions about what art what it means to be an artist. There are many people who are painters. There are many people who are photographers and sculptors, but being an artist is something else. And to me, it's something you're, you're expressing something numinous. Like you're express, uh, expressing something mysterious. You're expressing something that you're the only person that can really express it. It's a uniqueness and a mystery that, that you're expressing. So that's why I'm excited to talk about your art which is so interesting. And I guess my first question is, do you consider yourself an outside art, an outsider artist or a folk artist, or are you just doing your own thing? Do, or do you feel like your work is in a genre? Uh, Cause folk, I don't, I don't try to spend a lot of time yeah. like, you know, just studying on where I fit in. I'm, you know, I just try to do what I, what I want to do. I, I think like artists, you know, you, you get, you you come to a place where you can't do anything else. <clears throat> like this is what I have to do. Uh, I, I get up in the morning, and you know, I, or you know, when I work full time, I, I go to work, and and all I'm thinking about is what I'm going to be doing on this on this painting, or the idea for the next painting, or getting something ready to paint. And it, it just gets to a point where. You, there's nothing else that you can really do or see yourself doing. It's it's something that has to come out of you, and um, I've called it folk art. I've used I've I've used that term a lot, and uh, a lot of people think you know like maybe folk art. The only way you can be a folk artist is if you know absolutely nothing about art, or you you're abs- you're destitute. You live down by the railroad tracks. Mm. And you, you like you're missing a leg, and you got a glass <laughs> eye, and you can't read good, and 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 you know that's not. I don't think that's what it is. I think uh, you know people from southeastern Kentucky are are, are real folk people. Mm-hmm. They're, they're fo- people from real folk culture, and they've got their own. You know they've got their own unique music, and they've got their own unique uh, forms of art and storytelling, and um, you know. Uh, just cultural, just cu- the, li- the the way they live, mm-hmm. and so if it if it's uh, you know the definition of folk art is you know art that's made within a, c- a community. You know, it's just uh, you're making art about about your community and and the way you live, and it's kind of purposeful for for that. Mm. And um, and you know, and if it's if it's if it's art from a real folk culture by real folk people, then it must be folk art. Yeah, I, I agree. Can't see it any other way? I agree. And um, so I think I read on your website. So were you? Did you go to school for art, or were you classically trained in some way? And then it looked as though, from reading your bio, that you learned a bunch and then chose to work in this style. 
Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, I went. I actually went to school to be a teacher. Uh, I I came out of high school and got. Um, you know, we we were pretty poor family, so um, um, I mostly went to school kind of f- free, you know, on Pell Grants and things like that. But I, I also had a, an ROTC scholarship. I was going to go into the military, and that changed, and I started, you know, studying to be a teacher. And I did take some art classes along the way. And, um, you know, I got into, long story short, I got into teaching. And, um, you know, I did that. I did that for a while. And then I came back around and applied to a, a painting program because, you know, that's a even back then, that's really all I wanted to do was just be painting all the time. And, and I had had these experiences at the uh, Kentucky Folk Art Museum in, mm-hmm. in Moorhead. Uh, that's where I was going to college in Moorhead State University, and so at, at Moorhead they had the Kentucky Folk Art Center. Mm-hmm. And you walk in there, and you're going to see like uh, one of the one of the painters in particular that really ignited me was a guy named Charlie Kenny, and Charlie Kenny painted. Um, you know, I just thought that his paintings just embodied like mountain living, and and he had these wild creatures. He had this painting called the Wild Booger. And it was uh, some kind of wild uh, creature, uh, you know, coming out of the woods. And and he would paint everything from, you know, moonshiners to uh, uh, stories about uh, big storms in the mountains and floods and different things. And, you know, and he and he was a visionary, too, because he would paint, you know, pictures of the devil burning, burning the wicked people. And he, he'd have the wicked on the end of a pitchfork holding them over a big open flame and. And, uh, you know, you just can't go into any art gallery and see that kind of, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, that that kind of freedom of th- th- thinking, you know, mm. just to be able to to tell your own story and absolutely be, uh, be yourself against, you know, in the face of any kind of, like, criticism or, or any, uh, any, anything that's going on around you. You know, that, that originality was just off the charts for me. And um, that that kind of background helped me a lot because, you know, I was able to get through, you know, I was able to go to uh, the, an MFA program in painting and not really come out of there talking like an art student and uh, painting like an art student, you know. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of proud of that fact. Pre- Proud of the fact that I was able to just hold on to, um, hold on to me, you know, and who I was. Absolutely, through that experience. Many people talk about you go to art school and you lose the the uniqueness that you had to begin with because you're trying to either you know paint the perfect portrait that looks photorealistic or something like that instead of doing the unique thing that you have to offer. So, I, well, I for one am so glad that you were able to hold on to it. Well, you, you, yeah, you gotta, gotta, you gotta butt heads with some people and reject, reject some ideas because, because people wanna, people wanna show you this artist and maybe you should try this and maybe you should be more like this and, and, and you know, I think it happens because you know, you can get on Instagram and scroll through there and, and it sometimes some days some days it all looks the same mm. and I think that's the influence of. Maybe some of these, some of the art schools, you know. Mm. I think mm. Maybe that's where that comes from. Mm. Okay, so I've got a question for you. I read on your bio that your dad was a miner, 
coal miner, right? Oh, yeah. How yeah. did, um, here's what I'm wondering. In, um, how did your, did you, how did your family, was there, how did they respond to you having this like artistic passion? Was it, was it responded to well or was it weird or what? How did they respond to it? Like, I'm assuming even when you were a little kid, you were obviously a very creative person. Yeah. Well, I think, like, as a as a child, you know, I was always want, wanting to draw and paint, and I had, like, a watercolor set, and, and um, you know, that, that was coming out all the time. They, did, they didn't say anything about, uh, too much about anything negative about me mm. wa- wanting to, to paint, mm. you know, because awesome. it, it kind of looked like I was just going to be a teacher, right? Oh, okay. And so... Uh, the only thing, the only thing for sure is Dad said, you know, you're never gonna work in a coal mines. You know, mm. you gotta make sure you promise me you're never gonna do that because he was twenty, he was twenty years in the mines, and it was a really, really rough living, a uh, rough way to earn a living, and um, you know, it it affects your health. I mean, down down the road, if you you know miners, they they're gonna have health problems in different ways and like the black lung and all that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. And just, you know, just the physical stress of bending over and sometimes you're you're in a you're you're in a really confined uh, space where you can't stand up, but you still have to lift something heavy and it can, you know, they they hurt miners can hurt their backs a lot and and not to mention all the other dangers, like something just falling on you. Mm-hmm. Or uh, you know, an explosion, a gas bo- explosion or something. But uh, no, nobody tried to say no. You can't do this. Um, you know the way I look at it, and uh, you know I don't want to. I don't want to go down like a road like that. Uh, uh, I don't want to get sounding preachy, but you know, I, I from the time I was a kid, I think uh, you know God just put a gift in me, mm. and uh, I rejected it for a long time. I tried really? to. I tried to put. I you know I tried to run the other way. And I was, you know, especially after my dad got sick, I was, you know, I was drinking and swarping and carrying on and acting a fool for several years, and I wasn't even doing my artwork. Mm. But um, what's swarping? Swarping? <laughs> yeah, what's swarping? Uh, well, you know, you like to drink and cuss and swarp and have a big time, you know. <laughs> but I guess swarping is like, uh, I don't know technically what swarping is. I guess it could just be fighting. Uh, okay. You know, try uh, uh, in, just into a bunch of honoriness, and yeah, that's that's where I was at. And uh, so I noticed. So I, um, the work you might have seen of mine on Instagram, my illustrate. That's my illustration. Oh, uh, I think you're a great artist. Thank you. So I consider that illustration, but I have done a bunch of like real wild paintings. That's a separate body of work, um, like a lot of my dreams and nightmares. Completely different style, but. Um, Tell me if you noticed this. When I so I had I was drinking extremely hard from like 16 to 26 and now I don't really drink because I did it enough for my whole life. But I noticed once I started making like real wild artwork, like painting real crazy stuff like my nightmares and stuff, uh it was coming from the same place of the craziness with the alcohol. Did you notice cuz you're just saying you were swarping and boozing hard and instead of making the artwork when you started maybe in that transition when you started getting back into your artwork did you notice that do you get what i'm saying yeah the wildness that was going into like the partying uh, for me i realized was creative wildness it could be it could just the same 
energy could just be moved to to another direction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just, uh, you know, you just take a de- I just took a detour, I think. And some of the experiences along the way allowed me to maybe some probably somehow allowed me to be a better painter because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I could have went a different route. Instead, I, I chose to just kind of go hang out with the, with the winos. The <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and I got a different kind of education. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a different kind of education in those years. Well, those scenes and, are in your art. Yeah, and it informed it informed my painting because, uh, you know, I, a lot of that stuff I've experienced and lived. You know, I've I've been pretty crazy like that, and um, and I've known I've known those characters, and I love and I love those kind of people, and and when I started to paint, I, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to tell stories about, you know, the people those kind of people that everyone else forgets about, you know, and mm. the underdog. Mm. And uh well that's that southern gothic I was mentioning before. It's yeah. kind of the it's kind of the outcasts. I just kind of writing some love letters to the 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 underdogs, you know. Well your artwork are <laughs> no doubt your is storytelling. I mean no doubt. I mean each image could be the beginning of a short story or the cover of a of a book about the region. Um, let's talk about some of the some of the reoccurring themes in your artwork. You know, a lot of the, you know, you said, I know you've done some based on the murder ballads. You definitely do a lot of stuff with uh, cryptids, but, you know, with, with the old time names, the wood boogers, and you do stuff with uh, haints and ghosts and witches and, and UFOs. I mean, let's talk a little bit about some of that stuff. Like what, like how did these topics, um, become the stories that you wanted to share? Well, this, uh, I, I'd heard them a lot in s- stories as a kid, you know. Uh, from it, the older folks? From it, your... could been, it could have been older folks. It could Sometimes it was just maybe like my cousins and things. I had a, a lot of older cousins growing up, and uh, um, I, I've heard stories from my own mom, you know, who she really, she I've never heard known her to, to lie about anything, and I've heard, heard her tell some stuff that, you know, was kind of seemed sounded pretty crazy. Like what? Like she? Well, she she said she had seen a uh, an exorcism in the church one time. You know, just like a, a Pentecostal holiness church or something like that. Or and um, you know they they did an exorcism. I guess somebody was just shaking and convulsing. And uh, you know they get they the, on the altar there'll be a little thing of oil and they'll get some oil and they'll anoint them. And it looks like a big football huddle. You know, all these deacons and the elders in the church will come and they'll gather around that person and lay hands on them, and uh, and and commence a praying. And everybody and and they'll try to cast out the devil. That's a verse in Mark. You know, they they can cast out the de- they, uh, in my name they shall cast out devils. And it also talks about uh, handling snakes and things like that. And I've done some of those kind of paintings too. <laughs> But uh, you know, she said this person spit out like a black mass, and it hit the floor, crawled and crawled away out to out the side, and I, she didn't know where it went. Oh my! Have you painted that one? I didn't. I've never done a painting of that. The black mass. I've never done a painting of that. I but I, I've been thinking about doing a you know, a, a painting in in my name. They shall cast out devils. 
Um, and, uh, do you think that that kind of stuff is real? I do. Oh, I know it's real. I, I, yeah. <laughs> that Why? stuff stuff like that happens. I mean, um, and I've been in. I wasn't there when that happened, but you know, I've been in a lot of those churches, and I've and I've heard uh, I've heard preachers give you a mix of of the gospel and and the kind of supernatural and superstition mm. superstitious ideas at the same time. Mm. You know, it was it wasn't six months ago I heard a, a preacher talking about how you know he he had drank and uh, drank so much he he had jaundice you know mm. and then you know he he started he prayed about it and things like that got in the shower and then all that yellow just washed off and went down in the shower drain mm. and and it's know, a I, drinking preacher yeah a drinking preacher oh i've known a bunch of them mm. i've known preachers that c- couldn't read but i mean, well they learned the bible off of a, like a tape or something but uh I think that's common. I've heard all kinds of stories about people coming off of like alcohol and things like mm-hmm. that, and mm-hmm. then wind up preaching. I believe. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, alcohol. I mean, alcohol are called spirits for a reason. They're you know, bo- okay, hard yeah, booze sure. is called spirits. Yeah, because it gets you in touch with all that stuff. I mean, no doubt. When I was drinking at my hardest, I would. Uh, I'd be. I'd black out. So I would just, you know, disappear for like a whole night, but I would pop back in at like five in the morning, roaming the streets, like grunting like a demon. And I would be so scared. I'd be like, what is in me? Like, what is controlling me and what is in me? Like, I really think things, I think with alcohol, when you lower yourself like that, things come into you. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, God... Around around here in, the, in these parts of the country and in the mountains, you know, uh, uh, God God is king, but you know the devil he's always lurking in the shadows, and you gotta you be best advised to keep an eye out for him. So obviously, I'm not from Appalachia. One of the things I love about this region is so I did I've done two episodes with this guy Les Odell in West Virginia. He he's in really deep into cryptids, so he finds all the stories about like you know what cryptids are. Yeah. So he finds all those kind of stories in West Virginia and he collects them and he does little paranormal investigations. But uh, he took me to a cemetery at the top of this back holler and the very top of this mountain, a little church at the top of the mountain, a little cemetery. And he showed me the grave of a witch. And, um, and you know, he's probably your age and the gravekeeper was there. That guy was probably in his sixties. He was like weed whacking and he knew, the gravekeeper knew the legend as well. And it really like made an impression on me that um, like these things are alive here in Appalachia. Like God is alive here. The devil is alive here. Like there's just a feeling that even just over in the, Mount, the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia, it's not there. Here in, you know, in the Appalachian Mountains, there's something that's alive, a mysteriousness, People still believe the folklore. These aren't just like fun stories. Like adults still believe in stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we, when you if you keep traveling south here, you know it, it's going to get stranger from th- there on in because it, there's a lyric. I know there's a lyric in one of the Patty Loveless songs where it talks about you know the the sun the the sun comes up at ten in the morning and the sun goes down at three in the day. 
And as uh, the, fur- the, fur- the further you go, we start traveling in the mountains, going back home to where I'm from. You know, you're going to you're going to notice that it's, it the smells get different. It's going to cool down. It's back in the holler. It's already dark. Well, because they're so it's so, so steep in there that the sun doesn't really get in there. You mean? Yeah, and it's just and it does feel different. It's got a different. Mm. There's, there's a different sense. You know, you, you get a different feeling. And and some people like it. Some people, you know, it, some of us it just gets it, it's in our blood. What's and the feeling? Can you describe that a little more? It's hard. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to describe the feeling. Yeah, I know that the, the land gets into your mm-hmm. blood. Your blood. You know, you, it, for me, it's my family's going back in those mountains for generations and many generations, and uh, it's just something that's it's just something that's in my blood. Like, you know. I was I love my my mom and papa, you know, he he would smoke these cigars all the time. And and uh I I really never told anybody this, but you know, sometimes when I'm heading back back down 23 and going into the mountains there, you know, I'll I'll smell mm. I'll smell his cigar, mm. you know. But I don't smell it anywhere else. You know why is that? Mm. I I don't really know the answer to that. But um there's something different about it, you know. There is something that's a little spookier about it, um, you know. I've heard I've heard th- those kind of stories all, you know, all of my life, and and I think you was talking about the witch, you know. Mm. I think witchcraft is real, uh, real enough, and in, in the mountains, especially the old in the old ways, of Appalachia, the old timers can tell you stories about about it. Like and what? I, what did you hear? I know, I know. Like a, there was a there was a lady. There's a lady who's a storyteller. A lot of a lot of people accused her of being a witch, but uh, she had um, they, there was some kind of fever that went around in, in the mountains, um, and it killed a lot of kids. You know, young kids would uh, die die from this fever, and she'd uh, succumb to it, and in the night she uh, basically died. And uh, what they did did is they would lay you out on a cooling board, uh, put uh, pennies over your eyes back then. And uh, soak a rag in alcohol, put it over her face, put it over your face. Well, she had, uh, she put, they put that rag over her face and I, it dried, it dried out, stayed on there, dried out. When they pulled that rag off, um, she come to, you know, started making some noises and they hollered for somebody to come work on her and, uh, and brought her back to. And, uh, and she lived and, you know, uh, she was, Kind of delayed in her development for a while, is what I've heard. But uh, as she got older, she was, you know, was pretty pretty normal. And but she had wound up with a lot of gifts, you know. And uh, oh my some, god, some people uh, some people acquaint, uh, acquainted it or uh, to witchcraft craft because, you know, I I knew that uh, she she told a story one time about she could hear music, you know. And she said that it was a mu- music that you could hear that can't come from heaven. Uh, and there's, there's a verse in the Bible about the roaring waters and the music and things like that. And she could hear that music, and she said, but, you know, every time I hear that music, it means somebody's going to die. And so she, uh, she, she had heard that music one time, and, she, and her mom, and she told her mom, who was getting ready to have a, a child, you know, her mother getting ready to have a child, she told her mother, uh, I, I'm e- either I'm going to die, or uh, the baby's going to die, mommy. And uh, lo and behold, she had that baby, and 
it's kind of a sad, a sad story, but uh, the baby lived like 13 days mm-hmm. and the baby died. And she, she predicted that. And, uh, and you, did you actually know this woman? Yeah, yeah, I knew, I'd met her, yeah, storyteller. And, um, and uh, they, there was rumors about witchcraft and things like that. And I knew, I knew another story about a guy, uh, uh, a farmer that I played with as a kid and had all kinds of animals in a creek where they, I could fish, and my dad would take me over there sometimes. But, you know, they, he said uh, that a witch was, uh, like, plaguing his farm, vexing his farm, like let, letting the animals out at night and uh, having animals get sick and, th- and animals go missing and things like that. And so somebody come over there to, and it was like a curse, you know, mm-hmm. so, something like a curse. So somebody come over there and drew like a, a likeness of this, uh, of this witch that they knew, and uh, on the side of a barn. And then this guy took a rock and like beat the the, the lower extremities off, you know, like the legs of of the image, and just just pounded at that wood and, and beat that off or erased it. And then uh, this, this person that was supposed to be a witch uh, later on uh, had an accident and, like, broke their legs or something, you know, like well, that's on a the, horse or something. Yeah. Well, that's the witch. The, the person that did that back is the well, witch. It's a bunch of witches. <laughs> They're right? all witches. It's a bunch <laughs> of witches. And, you know, in, in the mountains you've got granny witches, right, that – and uh, you do, is that the phrase for like the the herbal women and stuff like that? They're yeah, doing herbal drawing medicine? fire and, and doing what's drawing fire? Oh, oh, when you get a burn, a bad yeah, burn, yeah, they can draw the the heat out of the burn. Describe it. Describe that. I think I know what you mean. But well, they just it. uh, it's only certain people that have that gift. I don't think everybody has a gift, of a, but they just do something with their hands where they can pull the all the heat out of the burn, so it, so it heals. You know, I think I've I've read that sometimes there'll be some faith healing, like they'll say a, a biblical, they'll say a quote from the Bible as they're doing that. Yeah, it would be similar, probably to something like uh, powwow magic, hmm. like you would hear about in uh, Pennsylvania Dutch country and things like that. Oh, I have heard about this. Let, let me but hear more gr- about it. But the granny magic, you know, your granny witches are, are herbalists too. Mm-hmm. You know, I I threw a uh, golf ball one day. And I, it was miraculous, man. I threw it probably from here to that building over there, and it went up in the air and curved, came down, hit my sister right in the ear. And I didn't mean for it to, but it was just like it was destined to hit her in the ear, and it did, and it busted her ear open. So Dad takes me. I'm in trouble. Dad takes me and my sister down to my grandma's house, and she put, like, uh, some stuff that she got out in the yard. I think it was planting. And she she took that and wrapped it on my sister's ear, and it drew all the swelling and inflammation out of it. Did you say plantain? Yeah, plantain. Interesting, yeah. interesting. I don't know too. I have a lot of friends. My mom are deep into herbalism, but I don't know too much about it. Hey, you know, you said something. I that's really interesting. You know how you said the pennies on the eyes? Mm-hmm. I think in Greek mythology, um, I've just been reading a lot about this. In Greek mythology, when a soul is going to the underworld. There's um there's a there's a guy on a on a boat called Charon. He's the ferryman and he ferries the dead across the river of the dead, the Styx River. But the ferryman has to be paid and he's paid by a coin. And so that's why in like ancient Greek times they would put coins on the eyes because those are the coins that are going to pay Charon to ferry you into the underworld. 
So that is so cool that that is a tradition that's come all the way to Appalachia. Yeah, they, yeah, and they, that was part of it. And then a lot of just like sweet smelling flowers they'd put out to just, to keep, you know, keep a smell down or something. They, you know, what, when someone's dead? It was called sitting up with the dead. You know what do you mean? Let me. What do you mean? Say more. Sit, sitting up with the dead. It's like when uh, it used to. It used to be a tradition. You know where if somebody passed away, they people would sit, sit up with them all night. And the old story goes is you sit you sit up with them all night because uh, to keep a haint from coming in and getting into to the body. You know, taking possession of the the soul. So you just you sit and you sit watch over them, and. Um, that's the way families in uh, Appalachia in Eastern Kentucky did for years and years and years. And it, my grandma, uh, Beatrice uh, Hicks, you know, she, uh, we set up with her at uh, Stone, Stone Cold Old Regular Baptist Church up there in Garrett, Kentucky. And uh, I remember just being there all night because I was, wanted like heck to just go home. You, all but, night you sat next to your deceased grandma. Yeah, in that church, yeah, sure did. I go, I go outside and play like for a little bit, and then come back in or something. So you have to guard them for one night, and then it's okay. Well, that's just how they did. That's yeah. just how that's how it was back then, and and uh, it, it used to be in the home, and then sometimes they do it in the church house, and then um, you know, and it used to be like the funeral homes would let mm. let the family sit in there just about all night long, mm. and they finally stopped. Like, oh no, 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 we're mm. not doing this anymore. And and nowadays you, they they put you out. I hate that they that close it up. I hate that I hate that that doesn't exist anymore because that's such an amazing like tradition and a ritual. And yeah. um, you said in case there's someone listening who's unfamiliar with like the vocabulary of the South or Appalachia, you said haint. So for someone who might not have heard that, I know what you're talking about. But what is a haint? Because uh, you're saying you're trying to keep, make sure a haint doesn't get into the dead. Yeah, best of my knowledge is a. Um, it's a, an evil spirit. So it's, n- it's not quite a ghost, right? It's something else. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of stuff is like. Uh, you know, it's some kind of evil or evil spirit. You know, uh, and there's there's been st- stories about things like that for you know years and years. I I was uh, haints or I was playing with my cousins one time in, in uh, Garrett, and they had an old. Uh, that old swinging bridge, you know, went across the river to the train track as a coal camp town, you know, and uh, it's a good train run coal all day long through there. But, but there was an old guy that lived there named uh, Chester Dempsey. He had an old house and it was real spooky. And he, in a uh, old man Chester, you know, he'd be home sometimes, sometimes he wouldn't be. But we'd always, you know, we'd go down by that swinging bridge and play and we'd try to sneak around his house, you know. We was always wanting to get, uh, like, see if we could see something in the wind. Uh, you know, he, we knew he'd come back from, uh, like, a, a World War II, uh, and he was he was strange. Like, it, it, would be, uh, it would be blazing hot, and he'd be out in a coat, like a heavy coat walking around. And uh, But, that, you know, there probably wasn't anything wrong with Jester, but we always thought that house was spooky. And we... And, uh, and uh, we we went around there looking looking around underneath that house, and um, um, all of a sudden I found myself alone. Like everybody left me, and I was standing there. And the, under the crawl space of that house, it, you couldn't see back then. It was just dark, you know. The, and um, 
something something started talking through that crawl space, and it was like, uh, it was like, hey, hey, come under here, hey, get up under here, you know, and and it just kept saying that two or three times. I was like, no, I ain't coming under there, and it sounded like, you know, I don't know, it didn't sound like it didn't sound like any people I was with, and and you know, and eventually when I come around the other side of the house, everybody was. Everybody was there. They didn't know what I was talking about. And I told, and I told some like my mom and stuff. And she was like, she didn't want to talk about it, man. She just didn't have nothing to say about it. That is pretty other spooky. than never go. Well, said, two two ever scary go things. No Either that's paranormal or that was Chester, which is pretty scary. If he's like, if he's so shell shocked from war, if he's hiding under his own house, whispering to kids, that's terrifying. Well, I don't think Chester was there. Mm. Uh, I, that's I, I'm pretty sure that was a day like he'd walked into town because he mm. used to get in that coat and he'd walk he'd walk into Garrett and he'd come back with a like a poke full of groceries and stuff, but. Uh, Hey, I'm, you got to you got to define what a poke is. Just I know a paper what that bag, is. yeah, a paper a bag. Paper bag, and he would he'd be gone, uh, he'd be gone all the time like that. We wouldn't. I know that we wouldn't have been playing around his house if he'd been if we thought he was in there. Hmm. I don't think because he was known to carry a pistol. <laughs> so like, so, what do you think a haint is? It's just some kind of spirit, but a very dark one. Yeah, I think it's, it's a negative spirit. I think it's something demonic. Yeah. Wow. I think it ain't something. This is something demonic. Have you painted this story? You got. I was going to do. I was going to do, do old Manchester's house, but you know I can't. I'm a memory painter, and sometimes it takes me a really long roundabout way to hmm. get the memory to come back. Mm. And uh, it's it's like the more I do it, the more I do it with this painting practice. The better I get at it, mm. uh, the better I get at remembering things. Um, but some stuff is slow, mm. and that's one of the ones I'm just still working on. Because it was a weird, it was a weird old house. Kind of mm. looked like a little bit like a castle, like a mm. but cross between a house and a castle or something. It was mm. really out of place for everything. Was else. it all decrepit? Was it falling apart? Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty rough. That's how I saw it in my head. I saw like kind of like towers. I saw it being kind of tall. Yeah, anybody mm. anybody that was from down around West Garrett would know, might know about it. Yeah, old Chester's place, Chester Dempsey. Yeah. Well, I love all this dark stuff. Like I can just talk about this kind of thing all day long. So here's a question for you. I have talked to. Let me think how many people here. One, two, three. I've talked to three people in Appalachia. So. Um, a friend of mine in Tennessee who has found a human arm under a log. Uh, I met some bear hunters in West Virginia on the road during bear season in a wilderness area. They told me that they found a dead body, probably a drug-related murder. And then I've met someone who said, told me that their grandma was out ginseng hunting and, and I, think, I think found a dead person, something like that. Um, do you have any weird stories from finding skeletons or bones or anything like that when you're from being a kid? <laughs> no, I don't remember. Uh, because it's the kind of thing in your paintings. You have a recent painting with two dancing skeletons. Like, I'm just wondering if any any real macabre stories like no, that. No, I never did hear anything about skeletal remains, but I know that I've heard some unsavory stories about, you know, you know, just people 
people getting killed and things back in the in these hollers and stuff and and uh that's that's I'm more, I'm more scared about those the living in that sense you know than I am anything from coming from the dead that's what I always say too <laughs> but, this it's scarier to just be around some deranged or drugged up or scary people yeah I mean in and it's a uh, Eastern Kentucky's got that uh, reputation from the from the feuds and the, the Hatfields violence. and McCoys. I did a podcast with um, with the great 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 I don't know how many greats grandson of one of the uh, of Devil Ant Hatfield. So I got to learn a, quite a bit about that feud, which was on the West Virginia and the Kentucky line. And you've done a painting of the Hatfield and McCoys. Yeah, I've done the feuds. Th- thought about feuds, and you know, when I, when I was a kid, I'd always hear somebody like if somebody had a beef with someone and they was having problems. Um, Two families, and they they just be like, "Well, you, you need to go burn them out," and that's what. And that's somebody this like would just come out and say that. And I was like, "Man, live! What's he, what's he talking about? Burn them out? You know, just go burn burn their house down, burn them out, and then and then they won't be your neighbor anymore." <laughs> and I've heard that, I've heard that come <laughs> out of numerous people's mouths in, in the mountains. I really have talk about just burning somebody out. But it's one thing to say it. Are they acting upon it? That's the question. Maybe back in the day, more so. Back back in the day, maybe more you know, so. When it was a frontier, wild west. Yeah, I, I imagine people. Some people did get burned out. Oh uh, yeah. So that's just a common. Like I would hear that all the time. Burn them out. <laughs> I had someone say that to me. You know, because some some people were kind of being hollering down. Uh, my mom had these. People that lived on the hillside across from her, and they'd they'd holler down at her if she was being, you know, out in the yard looking at what they were doing or something. They thought she was being nosy, and I was like, man, they they keep saying stuff to mom, and it's getting on my nerves. And he's like, well, you you know what you need to do, you need to burn them out. <laughs> I was like, it's oh wild, well, uh, it's a wild place out here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I it's so awesome that. Um, let's see how to say this. Um, you know, having artists like you is so amazing because you're showing the rest of the world a very unique region. So like some of the best comedians to me, like Theo Vaughn, he's a Louisiana guy or Miss Pat. Um, I think she's from Atlanta. Um, Miss Pat grew up in the hood. Um, Theo Vaughn grew up like in a, in a very, uh, very poor area, but anyways, they're to me they're such amazing comedians or creative people because they're showing the rest of the world something extremely particular. Like they like you need someone super creative that can share the stories that are that no, the rest of the world would never have access to those stories otherwise. And that's yeah. kind of how I feel about your artwork. Like you're yeah. not just doing this because it's cool. Like all these stories are extremely meaningful to you. And this is like your real history that you're putting out in your paintings, and that's why it's so amazing. That's why you're an artist. Well, I knew when I, I knew when I moved moved away. Like when I found, when I was in Cincinnati, like some of the ideas that I had, you know, I just couldn't I just couldn't sell those ideas because nobody knew where I was ta- coming from. Like what? And it was just just what I'm talking about the culture. It, it's you, you know some some places you go you, you feel like you really feel out of place like mm. because people don't know exactly what you're talking about they don't they don't get that that culture they didn't have that experience 
And, you know, so I do feel like it's something unique. But that's why it's have. great. Yeah, it, it does make it great. And, and you know, and I do want to share it. And I've always known that, you know, I, I, I wanted to put it out there. Um, and it's, you know, it's it's uh, all the influences from, from people and storytelling. But, you know, um, a lot of some of my influences just come from, like, TV mm-hmm. and, and popular culture and, like, Growing up in kind of growing up in the eighties too, mm. which was what uh, you know they this is the time of satanic panic sort of yes because yeah because you've got uh, you know you've got the Manson and mm. the Zodiac Killer and uh, there was a feral guy uh, Roderick Farrell I think from Kentucky had the vampire cult what yeah there was Let's a vampire cult in Western Kentucky he he convinced a bunch of people that they were vampires man. They went down and they went. They traveled like to Florida and they did. They did a murder to drink the blood. They did. They they killed some people down in Florida to drink their blood. I don't know if they did or not. I hope they didn't. Oh <laughs> but this dude's in jail. He's been in jail for ever. Oh my god! And he'll remain there, I'm sure. But uh, you know, I've done some paintings about cults and things like that. I, things like that interest me. You know, when when I was a kid, we didn't have. We was, you know, sometimes dad would be working, sometimes he'd be laid off. And, 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 you know, like a, I grew up in a real old fashioned and everybody around us was old fashioned. They, they grew garden, they canned foods. Uh, it was like really growing up around mountain people. But, uh, you know, we had to, we took our cable. We, we did have, ca- uh, like a basic cable or something. And dad would, uh, we grew up in a single wide trailer, but dad would, Take that cable and run it up across the ceiling, and uh, down in the corners of the of the uh, end wall of the trailer, and he'd put like aluminum foil on either side of that cable, and he'd move it, you know, back and forth, and he would bring in a signal for like HBO. We still HBO. <laughs> yeah, we still HBO, and I could watch all the movies, man, like a Jason Voorhees and uh, you know Halloween and Creep Show and stuff like that. And so stuff like that. That's uh, pretty ingenious. Yeah, I don't know. Nicely done, Dad. I couldn't tell you how to do that, but he he heard it from somebody that he worked with mm. in the mines. Mm. And, man, he came home and laid that sucker down, and he tuned it in, and sure enough. You haven't painted any mining scenes, have you? I did a, I did a coal, mine, uh, coal mining strike, and late, uh, that's, I don't know, that that's sold. Somebody's got that now, but... Uh, I think I've, I, lately I've been doing a lot of uh, coal camp towns. Hmm. Okay, I, I've been interested in that. Just just like learning about these little mining towns hmm. and like uh, like the, what what mining corporation, uh, you know, worked there and 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 what the what the town look, might have looked like. Trying to imagine what the hmm. town might have looked like in its heyday, uh, because. Um, some of these mining towns would have been been more like this, you know, where we're sitting, just really, really? bustling, yeah, mm. with lots of stuff going on, movie mm. theaters, and like the streets would have been crowded with cars, like traffic jam mm. almost, and uh, that might have been like like the way it was then. Now it's you know it's Des- despondent. Different. Yeah, a lot of them have turned to ghost towns. It's like there's a, ghost a lot town, of ghost right? towns around. So I, I I'm kind of interested in the way it looks. You know, learning about the way it looked then, but I'm I'm interested in the way it looks now. 
I, I don't know why. I'm just kind of drawn to that. Did you ever get to go with your dad, like, to visit in one of the mines? Did they did they let family members or kids ever go? No, I've never out? been. I've never been able to go like underground in a mine. Mm. But mm. you can. There's places mm. where uh, they've got like a mine museum over mm. in Harlan, and mm. they'll take you down. Interesting. Into, into a, show you what it was like. Interesting. Um, back to your paintings. Are you? An, is it oil or is it acrylic or is there something else? I'm mostly working in acrylic okay. because uh, I just like the way that it dries fast. Yep, and, you can work uh, fast. It dries fast. I don't have a lot of patience to sit around and wait, mm. wait for this oil paint to dry and things like that. And and you know what? I'm halfway through. I'm halfway through a, a story that I'm painting, and I'm thinking about the next one. So it doesn't make sense for me to need to wait on something. Mm-hmm. You know, I just I just want to work. I feel you. I just, just want to work them hard. Out. Yeah. Bang. And are, you're full-time as an artist now. I am now, yeah. That's amazing. I was literally telling my lady Vivian that, uh, like, when I texted you, or when I started messaging you maybe a year or so ago, I was like, I need to hurry up and buy one of your paintings before I can't afford one. Because I feel like <laughs> you, and more and more you're in galleries. And are you in galleries all across? Where are you being represented right now? You said in Virginia you're in one gallery. Yeah, Haley, Haley Fine Art, and uh, that's in Sperryville, Virginia. So, are you serious? R- Rappahannock County. Wow, my mom is like 10, 15 minutes from there. Uh-huh. So I'll go check that out over Christmas break. Yeah, and he's got some, uh, you know, good examples of things I'm working on, and I've got another uh, guy on a stellar highway, a dealer named Clay Flynn from Brooklyn, New York. You have work up in Brooklyn? Oh yeah. How's it doing mm-hmm. in New York City? I used to live there for ten years. They, are people digging it there? Yeah, I mean, quite quite a quite a bit of stuff is uh, you know went to different collectors and amazing. I congratulations. Sent, I sent paintings. Uh, I sent paintings all over the place. You know, uh, uh, f- movie uh, screenwriters and different things have bought my paintings. Really, uh, I got an email one day from a guy named. Uh, oh gosh. I, Stephen Stephen Gagan, hmm. he's a screenwriter, and he did the movie. He wrote the movie Traffic, okay, and um, and and some other ones. I can't I can't think of them right now. But uh, how are they finding you? Mainly on Instagram. Yeah, he just and he, he wanted a painting. So and I'm always amazed at some places where things go. I've got um, just I, I shouldn't name all these collectors, but sure, you know, sure. I've got um, a political. Uh, like a campaign strategist, that hmm. uh, a top campaign strategist for Hillary Clinton. Who that's, bought one of your paintings? Uh, several, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. And I, I, I'm, I'm like, surprised why? someone like that would why, like your paintings. Why is, it, why is it going there? But then I'm always, I'm always amazed by, um, like, where I find people that are from the mountains. You know, mm. you know, who's left? Yeah. Mm. And it's like Happy Chandler said, I've never met someone from Kentucky that wasn't on their way home or trying to get there. Mm. And so, like, uh, a lot of a lot of people from the mountains came up this highway that we're sitting right next to, US-23, and went up into Ohio mm. and to find industrial jobs. And they, you know, they stay there, or maybe their descendants are still living there. And, you know, I've got friends... I know in Ohio, they, and they're like, want to talk about Kentucky all the time because they ju- they're just starting to find out like 
This is where my family's from. Mm. All my family's from Eastern Kentucky. They moved up here because they couldn't find work. Mm. And 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 they want to go, and they're like, oh, I just made a trip down to McGoffin County or Floyd County, and we visited the cemetery, and I found this and I found that. And uh, I was like, wow. <laughs> it seems very much, you know, something I explore on this podcast a lot is people's connection to their ancestors. Like I interviewed um, a Cherokee man down in at the uh, uh, Koala Boundary down in North Carolina, and uh, he's a cultural ambassador for the Cherokee. He talked a lot about really feeling his ancestors. Um, I interviewed a, another artist who does kind of in the outsider uh, folk tradition down in um, also North Carolina. He does pottery, mm-hmm. um, like the face jugs. He's an African-American guy, so he does... So he feels very connected to like his slave ancestors by doing these amazing face jugs that are really haunting. And um, so all of, by interviewing these people, I've started to get very interested in like, hmm, ancestors. Like, you know, do they call you back? Like you're saying to your friends out here in Ohio, do they like call you back? Do, Do you feel your ancestors coming through in any of your paintings or do you, anything like that? All the time. Let, let me hear a little. It's like a, I was told you. I was like a, when I'm traveling and I smell that mm. smell that cigar smoke, you know. And I, I don't I don't get that anywhere else. Uh, you know, I know somebody that does like well, essentially, it's almost like witchcraft. You know, they 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 try to work with ancestors. They go to graves and they leave offerings and things mm. like that. And they they try to talk to the spirits of their ancestors and things. Uh, I've I've heard about people doing that. Um, you have friends that have done that? Mm-hmm. I think that's called necromancy, which means speaking to the dead. Yeah. Does it work? Do they get any information? I don't know. I don't want to fool with it. No, I wouldn't mess but, with that either. <laughs> I don't. I, but I've, yeah, mm-hmm. heard about it. Sure. I sure have. Like, uh, it's like a grandma, that one of the things that they used to do together was go out and get black walnuts and shell them, mm. you know, and mm-hmm. then he, he'd take some black walnuts and take them to the grave and, you know, just try to. Try to get in touch or whatever. Wait, what? So the it black, didn't seem like anything too like like black magic or anything. What is the? Because I'm am pretty familiar with black walnuts because I've made yeah. dye with it, and then um, herbalists will use it because it's an antifungal. If you tincture it, um, you can eat the nut, obviously. Um, so, mm-hmm. but what? Yeah. It's left at graves as an offering. Black yeah, walnut. Yeah, just, be, just because that was something that they did together, you know, that they they huh. shared together, and. Um, you know, I'm always I, I look for that stuff too. You know, just try to learn that that my my grandmother and grand and my dad had dark skin. You know, and I I, I never did know where it came from. I did, I kind of thought maybe that's Cherokee or it could be like wet. Uh, it could be Welsh because hmm. a lot there was a lot of Welsh miners in the mountains. Uh, but he had really dark complexion. I think I think it was Cherokee. Hmm. But uh, every, this is bad. But everybody called him Julio because <laughs> he had dark skin. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't that at all. But that's the nickname he got. And and so yeah, you you there's a lot if you if you want to go back, there's a lot to go back and learn about. Mm. And I'd encourage anyone to do that. Maybe maybe start with uh, ancestry or something, and and you can get like hits where you learn about. Uh, you know who your great, who your great grandmother and great great grandmother and things like that were. Or mm. if you don't, if you don't know that already, well, I've been doing a lot, similar stuff like that because it's like I've moved to Appalachia. 
I love talking to people like you. I love learning the Appalachian folk stories and stuff, but my family's not from here. So, you know, why don't I learn the folk stories where my family's from? So I've started to do that. Like I found like in my family tree, like where in England for a long time in England, which county were they in or in Belgium, where were they? Uh, some members that were in, in middle Scotland. So I've been buying like folklore books to read the folklore of those places. Um, certainly one thing that's very interesting, which I kind of mentioned before about folk songs is to see how some of that folklore came from Europe or from England and made its way here. Like um, one, one of my favorite themes in Appalachian folklore is devil dogs. Have you heard of any of these? Oh yeah. Okay, so hold, red eyed hold, devil dogs. Hold what you're gonna say. So there's, you know, I've read so many Appalachian stories about that, especially in the Virginias down in uh, southwestern Virginia. But there's also a, a super rich tradition of black uh, black dog lore folklore in England, and it's very similar themes. Very, very, very similar. A huge shaggy dog that has like a ghostly element. Sometimes it's associated with death. It has red eyes, like you were just starting to say. So I just think it's so neat when these uh, like mythologies like move around, you know, where they migrate with the people. I love that. Yeah, well, I've heard of stories of that too. Head of the holler where I grew up, it's, it's called Mudlick Mudlick Branch, and uh, the mouth of the holler is like where you turn in and begin, and the head of the holler is the end. It's always like a dead end. And it, there's an old guy that lived up there, you know, in a one-room cabin when I was growing up, and he he lived like with no electricity or any like running water or anything like that. But he lived he he had a really cool setup, and he he had he was telling us one day that. Every night there was a a, a black dog sitting out by this outhouse that he had, and he'd get up and look out there, and there was a, like a black dog with red eyes sitting out by the outhouse for night after night after night, and uh, I don't know whatever came of that, you know. Uh, he lived to be that that guy lived to be a pretty old age, but I've I've heard of people waking up at night and seeing a black dog like just sitting in the corner of their room and uh you know we we saw one uh i was with some friends and uh i've got two experiences that i've had uh, paranormal experiences i've had where i was with multiple people who can corroborate the same thing i saw and uh i would have probably been uh, elementary school like third fourth maybe younger Oh, this is in, yeah, this is in the mountains, you know. We was just, we was just hanging out and, t- and talking. And, and, uh, I think it was up, it was up in Hippo. It was up by the, by the, by one of the churches up there in Hippo. And it was, there's a, just a field in the back of it. It was in broad daylight. We were standing, looking out across the field and seeing a, a pack of about four or five black dogs with red eyes just running across the field in, in the broad daylight 
we just we just all like didn't say really say anything until we we got back and kind of settled down and then somebody's and then all of a sudden somebody's like man y'all see him red dogs and then and and it and at first it's weird and i think this is a phenomenon that people have in the paranormal it's like three or four people will be together and they'll all see say they've seen something different and that's kind of and that's kind of what happened you know like somebody said they said, said some black eyes with red uh black dogs with red eyes and somebody else said said it was like a something else you know like a one i think one boy said they were white but the, the eyes were glowing white so i don't know i don't know why that is what like why why would everybody have a different story and be and be standing in the same place De- yeah devil dogs are a common one uh, a lot of people said that there was a that, there was a boy that uh got killed over in hazard uh he was a little boy was playing out in his yard and like nobody could understand so, uh, something got a hold of him and drug him up the hillside when they found him he'd been drug up the hillside and they was just canine prints all around and canine bites and things like that and that's and that's what everybody said uh, that's that them black dogs that did that and the and the dnr tried to say that it was a pack of wild dogs and they had they had located them and and you know dispatched them or whatever to, but how does the wild dogs do that because i don't i don't think i don't know any dogs that's strong enough to do that like if uh, a kid you know like a four foot tall kid i don't know any dogs that can drag a kid like up a hill <coughs> Wow! So the DNR thought that they were like, like stray dogs, strays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Holy shit! That is insane, man. You, you know, you, your dog, your dog couldn't do that, could it? No, I, my little squirrel dog's twenty pounds. Mm, can't. No, just some, just some old mutts, stray mutts. Oh my god! They ain't out there doing this stuff like that. I don't think so. I, I don't know. I don't know about a lot of these things. I, think- I, I, I tend to. I tend to reserve the right to believe that there's a lot of things I don't understand. Well, that's that's how I feel about a lot of stuff, like religion, supernatural stuff, life, death. I don't really get any of it. I don't think anybody does, and that's why it's so fascinating to talk about and see what kind of experiences people have had, what kind of intuitions people have had. Um, well, how about we, we say something? A, a big theme in a lot of your paintings are aliens. And like what look like kind of abduction scenes. Is there any particular reason why you're so into that? Do you do you ha- know people from around your your community who had alien stories, anything like that? Yeah, I hear about aliens. Yeah. I I, I started painting them, and. Uh, uh, I had an experience with some lights. I don't know if it was a- aliens or not, but you know, I'd, I'd done, I did some paintings like that. I'd, I would take them to shows, and I, my, my, I remember being at an opening one time, and a guy came up and was like, "Yeah, I seen, 
two different people came up to me that night. Like, yeah, I got followed home by a UFO one night. They're coming out of here. It's up in West Virginia where you live, up in that part of the country, up in the Monongahela National Forest. Seen a, uh, had been followed home at night by a UFO. And another guy had lived up here in Ohio and with us. And he, he had told me he worked at, uh, had worked at a secret uh, Air Force base that most of it was underground. And uh, I know where it's at. That's, uh, and uh, it's over in Kettering. It's a Kettering area. is an underground, as an old underground Air Force base. But he had worked there and, sit, and lived next to it. And he said he was seeing stuff all the time, lights and things. But me and some of my buddies, we used to play at the, uh, up in Hippo. If you, if you go to the head of Hippo Holler, there's an old road that where it dead ends and this road goes up through the mountains up into McGoffin County and there's a place up in there called uh, uh, Indian Graves Fork it's supposed to be like an Indian burial ground and then you go around and there's a place called the Left Fork of Rushy and it's and it's all it is is just dirt rutted dirt roads where people used to live mountain people back in the sticks they don't want you up in there a lot of these people and it was a strange place because we, we'd go back in there and play and we'd find these old, really, really old uh, foundations of houses and things like that. We, I mean, we were playing up in there one time and we heard just like a stampede of horses running. Like they were coming up the mountain where we were at looking at this old, this old foundation where this house had stood. And it just sounded like a like a bunch of people on horseback, like a like a Wild West movie or something coming at us. So we we just d- dove and like hid in the brush, and then we kept watching. We never saw anything, and and the noise went away. And it sounded like it was coming straight at us while we was up there, just exploring. But at the we was at the foot of that same road one night. You know, it was pitch black. We'd had we had like some dirt bikes or something, and. We was up. We was, we'd been playing on that uh, uh, brushy fork, and we were standing down there at the foot of it, at the at the road, and we we got hit by these blinding lights. Just like this is flat blinded us. We we just stepped back and we didn't know, like what is that? It was coming from the road, and then they disappeared. And so we went out and we looked in the road, and there wasn't nothing there. And we looked up in the hill on the hillside and everything, and we just couldn't see anything or anyone. And so we went back, and we was all like looking at each other. And then that light flashed again, and just just it, the best way I could describe it would, would have been like like a couple of semis just hit you with their brights at the same time. It wasn't really in the sky. No, I don't guess it, it wasn't in the sky. Was it like a? Was it a wraith, or like a haint or something like that? Some kind of supernatural thing? I don't know. But, I mean, we, we were standing. We were standing close enough when that light went out. We should have been able to see the source of that light. We, we went home and we, uh, we told my friend's uncle about it. And he, you know, he kind of believed us. He didn't act like, oh, you guys are stupid. And it wasn't like that. He kind of, he kind of believed us, like the story we were telling. It was weird, and so later on we were all we were all hiking on uh, on the adjacent hillside. It was an old strip mine, and they they get it back, and it becomes public land. 
you can go up there and walk around, ride four-wheelers and things. And we were just hiking up there. And we were looking across on the ridge line and seen this big light, this big glowing light. And I was like, my buddies were like, look over there. What is that? Some kind of, what are they doing over there? Is that somebody's house? Or, and, uh, 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 friend's uncle was like, no, no, you need to get your bearings. He's like, oh, over there, there ain't no houses over there. He said, you know, there's some people that lives on this ridge line over here, and he pointed that way, and and then looked back over here. And he's like, you get your, stand here and get your bearings and look. He's like, there's, there's no houses back in there. That's that's the top of Brushy Fork Road where you guys was playing. He's like, remember when you come and told me that story about them big lights that you seen at the foot of the hill. And that's all he said. That same uncle told told us all a story a little bit later on. Like he, him and some other guys was walking horses. They were riding horses up through Brushy. And they had to get off because some parts of the road are, are rutted and you gotta walk the horses around. And uh, they walked the horses around and got back on the trail and then on them horses laid down and just like a like a mist or like a dust or mist and this wind started rushing and blew this and blew this mist like a, like an apparition across the trail in front of them but them horses stopped and laid down and that, that mist blew across that trail and then and then they got back up and went on That was, that was a strange story. Appalachia, that stuff feels alive here. That's what I was trying to say earlier. Like, these aren't just, like, fun stories. When you're in these places, you can kind of feel there's something. You know, even where I live, I've never, ever been to such a quiet place as where we've just moved, which is in the yeah. West Virginia-Virginia border. So over the Allegheny, uh, over the Allegheny front, mm -hmm. but... In the winter, when there's no birds and stuff, it is a qu unbelievable quiet. Yeah, you can feel it sometimes. You get out in the woods and everything gets quiet, and you don't hear any noises and, and any sounds. You know that's kind of strange when you when it gets like that in the woods. But you know, uh, it's 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 not just a, a funsy sort of thing when you hear these stories from people that are they're stone cold sober. They work hard. They're hardworking people. Work hard for a living. They're they're stone cold sober. They they're church members, you know, and they they they're not out here lying uh, every with every breath that they draw. Hmm. And where do these where do these stories come from? It's a mysterious place. It, you know, they they've experienced these things directly, is what I believe. You know, I, I believe sometimes stories get passed down. But I think a lot of times, you know, I, I'm hearing about people's real, real experiences, man. That they've, they've, they've seen something. Do you have any uh, other super intense ones, a ghost story or anything like that, or or any super intense ones from your family or from someone in your you grew up around? You know, those are the main ones I can think of. I've never yeah, seen anything. 
you know, I've never seen anything like a like a Bigfoot or anything like that. Yeah. I've never, I've never seen something like that. I, I had did have an old man tell me he'd seen like a griller griller man. He called it a griller man. <laughs> a griller man. That, <laughs> That's a good man. title for your a- painting. Appalachian accent, you know, with a mountain accent. He'd call it a griller man. And, uh, you know, I guess maybe he was talking about a Bigfoot, like a Sasquatch. Mm. And some people talk about the wampus cat. You know, the, I've heard the wampus cat. A black, a black panther. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love that name, the wampus cat. I heard that one from the guy I interviewed in West Virginia who does the cryptids, paranormal stuff. He told me the story of the wampus cat. I well, love I guess, that. I guess in the old days in the mountains, you know, they'd be sitting around and they'd see like cougars and panthers, things well, like that. Well, there were the mountain lions here. Yeah, There sure. used to be mountain lions. But the black panther is something a little different. Well, they still get pictures of Mount lines. Yeah. Out here. Yeah, Yo, I believe it. Yeah. Now, did you guys grow up? Like, were you in the woods all the time? Did you grow up hunting and foraging and stuff like that? Yeah, I grew up, uh, I grew up uh, like halfway back in Holler. It was very, it was very, uh, just the woods on both sides, hillsides on, on your left and right, and creeks to play in. And, and, you know, we'd play in the hills and try to go back on, like, to the top of the hill where the rocks were, the pilings and the rocks and things like that. We just played in the woods all day, and sometimes, sometimes you'd get like a little bit lost trying to find your way out, and you, you know, you might come out at dark, and there was always warnings and admonitions like you don't, don't, you don't need to be going here, you don't need to be going there, because you know I think I think, and sometimes they tell you stories to scare you, you know, because like I said, it's it's 1980s, it's a, a satanic panic, it's um, there's old mine shafts back in the hills. Because there's there's a little in eastern Kentucky especially there's just little little mines small mines everywhere, you know they they used to mine everywhere and just run it with a little small crew, and uh, and and they, it was common for something like that to be out there, you know, something dangerous like that. Now, did you? I think you told me you you grew up with like fox hunting dogs or something like that. I think you sent me a message one time about that. Yeah, did you guys I used, do hound hunting or what did you do? Well, we just had uh, we had dogs and had friends that had dogs, and I, you know, got to hunt a little bit, like hunt with rabbit dogs, and mm-hmm. and um, learn about that. You know, that, that's kind of fun to run run rabbits with dogs because it's the rat the rabbit will run in a circle, you know, mm-hmm. and it'll come it'll come right back around in a circle. And um, fox hunting is like nobody really fox hunts; they just go and like. Drink beer and mm. listen to dogs bark at fo- mm. at a fox, you know, <laughs> and and you sit around and tell stories and sit by the fire and stuff like that. But that you know, I always like to hunt like predators. That's what I that's what I do, have done. I don't really hunt much anymore because I'm just just too darn busy with other things. Mm. But you know, I did enjoy you know fox hunting at, at one time when I was young. What do you mean, predators? Like coyote hunting or what? Yeah, coyotes, mm. uh, fox, uh, raccoon even, you mm. consider. You would hunt them forever. like with dogs or would you trap them? Uh, yeah, I'd, I had set some traps, but, you know, I with the fox, I would just like bait, uh, do baiting or uh, had a call, some mm. different little mm. calls like mm-hmm. like squeakers. And it's, you do it at night? Yeah, did, did it at night or uh, – just right at the edge of dark mm. when you just got enough light. Mm. 
that's usually about the time you can get pop one. I, I've only done it a few times, but it's kind of spooky being out in the dark yeah. blowing one of those calls with a light and seeing eyes show up yeah seeing the little animal eyes appear yeah just kind of looking at you cautiously from far away and you're like what the hell is that it's not a deer is that a fox is that a raccoon but you just have these little glowing eyes peering at you yeah i used to enjoy it and then and then i was just like i was out there and I was just like I didn't I didn't want to bother it anymore, mm-hmm. you know. I was just mm-hmm. like I'm just gonna I just want to leave it alone, man. Mm-hmm. Let it walk. But I did I did uh, I share your appreciation for squirrel hunting because mm-hmm. you know, Dad, I was probably just eight, nine, ten, something like that. Just really young age, started learning how to use a twenty two to shoot like little ground squirrels that were getting in the garden and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, my chipmunks. Yeah, she chipmunks with them. I just found out, so deer hunting a few weeks ago, muzzleloader season in Virginia, I just found out that chipmunks make a noise. I mean, they sound, they, I just would see on the little rocks and high up on the, on these mountain ridges, yeah. I kept running into little chipmunks on them because I was walking real slow and I would see their little mouths opening up in the loudest noise, in the noise sound like I'm positive that a sound that I have been confusing for a bird sound is uh-huh. a chipmunk. Yeah. Like it makes a funny little bird sound. You'd be I, surprised with you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a, and like uh like fox, a red fox will make a noise at night. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a it sounds like a child or a, a, a woman screaming. I've heard that about bobcats. <sighs> same thing. They do the same thing and there's like a lot of animals that make really strange noises like uh it almost sounds human like. Mm-hmm. And uh it spook you when you're out in the woods. Mm-hmm. A screech owl. Oh, <laughs> and there's um, which one is it? The yeah, we heard this one night. So we lived for five years in a cabin in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. We had a lot of owl visitations at night, but one night we heard like a, and it's like a terrifying noise. And it was uh-huh. we went out with flashlights. It's a barn owl. It's the white one. Yeah, they don't make a call like the barred owl or like the um, or the great the big Virginia one. They don't make a call. They make only this hiss screech. It's terrifying. Like yeah. if you didn't have a flashlight and you were like an ancient person at night, you'd be like, "Well, that's a demon." Yeah, like, that's a demon. That's a big owl too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would imagine like a lot a lot of stories, you know maybe come from that you know just things that go bump in the night and i think i think some folklore comes from that and some, mythology and some stuff folklore like that. is explainable you know i remember hearing a story about a guy we knew that is coming home from a card game and he's he was pretty tore up you know he'd been drinking all night playing cards and he come across the mountain and cut through a, an old cemetery and seen something standing in that cemetery glowing and he thought it was like a haint you know standing there watching him in that cemetery and he and he stood there and talked to it and swore it off. And he then he pulled out his pistol and shot at it. And emptied, emptied all the bullets in the gun and then put it back and just took off running. Went around home. And then the next day, come to find out, uh, they'd they'd went back that way, and it was a a brand new like grave, like a a brand new headstone, a big one, and it was white marble. And at, at, in a night, you know, it, it was glowing like a, and he had been drinking, you know. 
So glowing like from the moonlight or something? Yeah. And so just, he shot up this gravestone? Yeah. It had, That's an awesome story. And he put bullet holes in it, you know, pop marks in it. That's an awesome it story. Gone. That's one that you just heard <laughs> someone tell you? Yeah, that's a Hank story, you know, coming home from drunk from a poker game. That's a good one. That's a really good yeah. one. I love that one. Um, let's see. Let's see. We've been talking about a lot of awesome stuff. Um, let's see. Uh... Well, you got, you know, we talked a bit, a bit about the witches, but I love you have a lot of the witch scenes going on, like the conjuring stuff. Um, oh, I guess, I guess, was there, so you talked about, you talked about when you moved and you meet people from different regions, you didn't realize that they didn't know what you were talking about, right? You were saying that earlier, like yeah. so culturally, they didn't understand some of the stuff. Were there any like little traditions like I've interviewed, um, I interviewed a man from West Virginia who is a witch folklorist. So he's, he went to, he actually went to university as a folklorist, but his focus was on like Appalachian witches. So he told me a lot of these like folk mountain traditions that were just cool, just like weird little things like put a uh, tomato in the windowsill or um, put a broom on the door of your house on the outside because the broom... If you hang a broom on the outside of your door of your house, then if a witch comes, the witch has to count every bristle on the broom so she can't enter. So he would tell me all these cool little things like that. Yeah. Is there anything like from growing up, like you didn't even notice was weird, but that then later on you found out were these amazing like folk traditions? Yeah, there's there's some. I've heard that one about the, the, the broom. The witch has to count all the bristles in the broom. I've also heard like... You can pour out something. I think it's like uh, salt or something, and she's got to count all the grains of the mm. salt and different things like that. Um, uh, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of good old folk traditions. I know that, uh, uh, like uh, my family, they would they would take coins and and a New Year's Day uh, they would cook. Uh, like quarters and nickels and dimes and pennies, and they throw them in the, in there with the cabbage. Really? And the ham and just cook it because they believe that it would bring you like financial. like You'd put like the money mojo you'd cook into your, mo- into your holiday mojo, food. Money mojo, man, and the, and the, uh, and the cooked cabbage. Money, that's another painting type. You got to write that down. Money mojo in the cooked cabbage. Yeah, they put the coins <laughs> in there, yeah. Wow, I've never heard that. That's an awesome one. And there's another one. Uh, there was there's some kind of new moon. There's, there's, there's one of the moons where you're supposed to put you're supposed to put a coin in your pocket because of it, and I've I've heard that one. And then you know, uh, something else I think about is just the farmer's almanac. Mm. You know, all these all these old people they they had to have a farmer's almanac. Had to go go out and get one, and it's just they're going by the moon. You know. Oh, one of is, my the the one of the guys one of our neighbors, an old an older guy who's become one of our good friends where we live. He swears by that. He mm-hmm. says that. He, him and a friend would both grow their crops. One of them would, you know, forget and just plant whenever they want. The other one would stick to the farmer's almanac, and whoever was sticking to that and growing by the signs would always have a better yield. And so he really believes in it, like setting your posts at the right time. There's like in the almanac, there's like when to cut your hair for it to grow slower, to grow, to grow faster, like all sorts of little stuff like that. When to plant root, the root veggies. Fascinating. Yes, yes. My grandmother was, re- you know, she really read that mm. and used it. 
And of course, they had these really big flourishing gardens too. Mm. And we all all did. We kind of lived off a lot of that stuff. Mm. I used to get tired of eating beans, man. Mm. Green beans? Yeah, because they beans with everything you ate was had a bean in it. Mm. <laughs> did you guys do? I've seen like in um in some of the folkways recorded by uh, Firefox, they show the um bean ladder. It's called a witch's ladder. No, 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 no. It's not. It's called um, something, ah, dut, uh, britches, something britches. Leather britches? Leather britches. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is, you know we, what I mean? You we, we always call them shuck beans. Shuck beans. It's uh, where you stack, like you you thread a needle through uh, yeah. green beans. And let them dry And out. you let them dry out, and it looks beautiful. Yeah. It looks so cool. Yeah, they just they dry out to totally dehydrate and dry out, and then you cook. cook you them. thread it through the center, so like they're sticking out different directions. It's it's a so a cool lot of work, man, for a mm. pot of beans, but mm. uh, they were good. You know? mm. When so two things that came to mind when you were talking when we were trying to go through some of those folk traditions, I got a great book on uh, hoodoo like folk traditions. One you're talking about like the money magic with the coins, your family doing the coin. Um, there's one in Hoodoo where uh, you take a sassafras leaf and you put that leaf or um, some shavings from the bark, you put that in your wallet and sassafras is associated with abundance and making money and stuff like that because of uh, sassafras was one of the major exports from America back to the old world. Yeah. So in the Hoodoo tradition, it's got associated with money. But I think that stuff's so cool. You know, another one from the Hoodoo book that I read, which is wild stuff. So sometimes right. I'll, I'll read these things and I'll, draw, I'll illustrate them and then I'll put it on Instagram. And what is most amazing are the comments because there's so many people that follow me who come from rural, had, grew up rurally, and they'll tell me stuff like you're telling me today that just like blows my mind. Like there's one thing in the Hoodoo tradition where if you want like a mean, like a vicious dog, and I'm assuming like yeah. back in the day, when you wanted to like protect your homestead, it says that you take cornbread and you mix in gunpowder or yeah. you mix in red ants and you feed that to your dog. And so I thought, oh, that's kind of crazy and like kooky. And then a young woman wrote on my Instagram saying, we knew this one person who was mean as hell, who would feed his dog gunpowder and they were the meanest dogs ever. Yeah, It's like, oh my well, God. People... There was some people that used to do that with uh, fighting chickens, two roosters. Oh, my. Give them gunpowder, make them mean. They would feed the chicken gunpowder? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've heard of that, too, with the, with the fighting roosters. Did yeah. you ever see any of that stuff? Because it was mm-hmm. – I've met someone in Virginia yeah. who who raised the fighting chickens before it became illegal. Now it's illegal. Yeah, uh, well, when I was – just as a kid, you know, growing up in West Garrett, it was called The Bottom – and you, and it was just like a circle, and you just walk around. There's there's a few house, quite a few houses in in there, and uh, we was just out walking one day, and there was all these people, and just right out in the front yard in broad daylight, and they were f- fighting a rooster, and I just stood there and watched it because you know I was a kid, I didn't think anything of it, I just thought, I mean that's what people did, and uh, you know, I, I I don't I don't think that's good, you know to. Do no, that to the of roosters, course not. but but can you explain how what, how it works? They're trying to have t- they're trying to have two chickens, two roosters. They're trying to have one kill the other, and they bet on it. Yes, yeah, it's, but you know, everybody throws in throws the money in the pot and just makes a bet on it. And uh, 
you know, anytime two roosters get together, they're going to fight. Mm. So that's, you know, that's what's going on there. But it's a hustle, you know. It's just it's just a way that, like, poor poor people living in the mountains at one time would, would just try to make a little extra money, maybe betting on their roosters, mm. or they would raise roosters mm. and sell them. Um, and a lot of a lot of them, uh, a lot of the roosters that were raised around here might have been so, sold and took to other like countries and stuff. Even mm. you know, so hey, as messed up as it is, I'm sure they ate ate the one that died. I'm sure someone would eat it. I, I imagine, yeah. So I one, didn't stick around for one, that. But. One time, I was in the. Um, I used to live in Brooklyn for ten years. One time in Brooklyn, I asked the ladies behind the counter, it was in Bushwick, which is like a, a, it was a harder neighborhood. And I asked the ladies behind the counter, I said, what's the craziest thing anyone's ever sent out of the post office here? And they said that there's someone in that neighborhood, which is called Bushwick, who would mail pigeons to Mike Tyson. Because Mike Tyson does some weird thing with pigeons. Like yeah. where you, I don't know, you like, I don't know what it is, like racing them or something. I'm not really sure what you yeah. do. I don't know. He just like I think he just likes them. Well. <laughs> but there's like a gambling thing yeah. involved. Like there's a gam- pigeon gambling thing. Nah, I'm, 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 I imagine. <laughs> I, I, another time, maybe this will start spark a story on your end. Another time, I asked like the same question. So I lived in this old building. The basement was pretty disgusting, filled with huge water bugs, huge roaches. But uh, the the electricity guy came one time to like check the meters. So I went down into the basement to show him where they were because the, our landlord didn't live in the building. So I went down to the basement with him. And I said, hey, man, what's the craziest thing that you've seen in a basement in, in Brooklyn? And he said, a caged bear. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and in Brooklyn. That's says exotic animals. You, you, you've heard about the here in Ohio. Uh, in a, it was, it was up in Ohio, right? At Zanesville, the guy had all of the uh, exotic animals, like tigers and bears really? and wolves, and <laughs> and and illegally, or yeah. was it like a, pet, a zoo? Well, he let them all out. He let them no. all out, and he uh, he took his own life. What? And the police had to uh, the police had to go figure out how to get all these animals, man. Like somebody was going down the road, and they seen like a a, t- a Bengal tiger, man. <laughs> Well, there's your wampus cat. Oh, that's terrifying, you know? Oh, my God. And it's some, somebody could have got hurt. Wow. And so they kind of tracked them all down? You imagine yeah. there's a few that are still out there roaming. Yeah, it was, it was a sad story because they had to put the, most of the animals. They mm. just had to put them down, you know? Mm. So, mm. Yeah, that was, a bad, that was a bad story, but that's a real story. That really happened. I feel like our conversation today, you've got like 10 new paintings. Oh, things just go, you get to talking, things just go all over the place, don't they, you know? I kind of like that, though. Uh, well, we've been talking for a good while. Should we kind of wrap it up? Well, that's that's just fine, yeah. Well, uh, I, I mean, again, I love your work. Um, um, well, I hope you take this the right way, but I feel like, because you even say on your website, you say that um, you purposely chose like a more childlike way to render the images. I think you even use those words on your, in your bio. That's yeah. what I think is so wonderful because their images, it's, you know, some of them, like some of the wild stuff, like you have some images of like fights at a bar or something or yeah. like fights at a funeral. 
I was thinking as I drove here, because I used to draw all the time as a little kid, and I drew crazy shit. People like ripping each other's heads off and just <laughs> super violent <laughs> stuff. I drew aliens all the time. Yeah. A lot of like um, snowboarding like characters and like a weasel on a snowboard smoking a cigarette. Like sometimes oh, I look yeah. at your paintings and I wonder, it's almost as if like a child saw something kind of fucked up and then they came home and painted it. Like they saw their parents like fighting each other at a bar. And then they came home and they're like, I'm going to paint the scene. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know. It just, it started, it's just an idea and it started to get fun after a while because, you know, you can't really, you can't t- try to tell a story. Well, you can, but, but if you want to tell a story in paint, you know, you don't want to sit there and try to paint airy. Uh, hair on someone's head and all these details because they're really kind of uh, they don't really help tell a story that much. Mm. You know, I just wanted to uh, I just want to tell a story in a in a, an immediate mm-hmm. way that was direct and impactful. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, you know, I just wanted to do something that wasn't. Uh, you know, I wanted to do it in a challenging way too. This is just challenge myself because I, I loved folk art. Mm. And I, I didn't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to just sit down and start painting like mail pouch. I mean, there's a lot, you don't think of contemporary art all the time and when you think about Appalachia. Mm. But there, there are a lot of good contemporary artists. But there's also that that Appalachian art that's where you're just looking at like somebody who's painted a, a mail pouch barn or something. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to go a lot deeper than that. Well, that's know, I what I was to, trying to say when I opened, that I – in my opinion, there are painters, which might be the person who's just painting a nice scene with a barn in it, and then there's artists. And an artist is going deeper, like you're saying. They're showing you expressing something unique yeah. or mysterious to them. And it's, you know, and like you said, it's a drive. Like you have to get these things out of you. Like that to me is what a true artist is and what I, you know. Yeah, that that's ultimately that's ultimately where it came from. I just wanted to I just really wanted to be myself. I knew that. Well, I think you nailed it. I knew it was important to reject like uh, art school influences. It just didn't feel right, and I, you know, I wanted to be me and mm-hmm. uh, do do it my way, and that's what I, you know, set out to do. And, and oh, you nailed it! You nailed it. Are you familiar with um, the artist? I think she's, I guess, folk art. Uh, Grandma Moses. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I think for someone listening who doesn't know about her, I think in her like 70s, maybe even older, like 80s, she started painting. And then for like 15 years, she became like famous in her own time as this old lady who was painting these like very rural, just these like scenes of little rural villages and stuff. I feel like you've taken kind of like some of that kind of stuff, but then put in your own wild, demented, amazing <laughs> little scenes. Like, yeah. I just love it. I love what you're doing. I'm serious I, that you're one of my favorite living artists. Well, I like all that stuff, and and you know I do. I have looked at. I've looked all of, all of it over. You know, all all the different folk artists that have influenced me, and I've poured through images and and went to see it. And you know, I, I'm really usually motivated and inspired by that kind of art more than than anything else. Mm. And um, you know, it it just it was just a fit for me. You know, there, there was a lot of folk art in Kentucky too, like I said, mm. at, the, at the folk art center and things. Mm. And it was just sort of, it's just something that came natural. 
Hmm. I think some, I think th- things are meant to be, you know, like mm-hmm. I said, I had, I believe there was a gift that was placed inside of me. You know, I pushed it away and I tried to stomp it out hmm. and it came back hmm. and, you know, and when it came back, I, I said, yeah, and I got after it hmm. and, uh, and that's what, and that's what came out. So, well, I hope you keep having more and more success. If someone listening wants to like buy a painting or buy a print, can you tell them a little something? Do they go have to go through a gallery? Or can they reach out right to you to get a painting? Well, you can always, uh, you, you know, you can. Uh, I'm on Instagram. It's uh, at Mike Usley Art. It's O U S L E Y, and I've got um, the galleries that I work with are in my bio. And if you don't do Instagram, you can always. Uh, look up, you know, something like Haley Fine Art on the uh, internet, and you can give them a call. And I'll put a link to you. You have yeah. your own website too. Yeah, our Stellar Highway, and you can look that up and give them a call, and, and you know, find out what I'm doing. But when I make new things, it, if I, as long as I'm okay with putting it out there, I'll put it on Instagram. I'm not too, hmm. I'm not too picky. I just, I look at it like. What do you if, mean? If to I, sell it on Instagram? If I'm going to do it, well, no, no, not not, not about selling anything. Mm-hmm. I just I just paint all the time, mm-hmm. and it's and if it's if it's okay, I'll put it on there so you can see like what I'm doing. You Is know? your price range in the hundreds, or are you in the thousands? Uh, well, I just you know. Does it depend on the size? It, yeah, it would depend on the size. Yeah, it would depend on like the like I said earlier. I should have bought some paintings like two years ago. Uh, I, I've changing all the time. You know, at first I, w- I wanted to make all these small paintings and, you know, kind of draw people in. Mm-hmm. And I still do, but now I'm, I am doing some uh, larger work now, uh, quite a bit of larger work. So, and I'm. You know, what's pretty fascinating is have you ever um, loved a painting in art history and then you get the chance to go look at it in a museum and it's absolutely tiny? Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, it's kind of yeah, smaller, a little smaller than you think. It blows you away. And some and some like, things are you're blown away by the the massive size yeah. of it, like, like an altarpiece or something. Salvador Dali, yeah. his melting clocks is like, it's like absolutely tiny, like uh, eight inches. It's so small, I couldn't even look at it because it was up in New York at the MoMA, and there were so many people gathered around, I couldn't even look at it. But you know, when you see it in yeah. books, the book is twice the size of the actual painting. Yeah, I don't know. I've never, I've never even been to New York City. It, it's not worth it. It's fun if you're young and and you want to party hard, but if you, yeah. you're burned out on that, there's no point. Yeah, I've been to a few. I've been to a few other cities and didn't. Be honest with you, I didn't really care for them. There's not, nothing against. Mm-hmm. You know. Are you in the? Are you living in the country right now? Are you suburbs or what? Yeah, yeah. I stay. Yeah, we stay in the country. You're in the. So, okay, yeah. cool, cool. It's uh, I kind of uh. To quote another folk artist that I really love, she, 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 Maddie Lou O'Kelly, she, she went out and lived in different cities. As she found some success with her art, you know, she wound up in like Florida, New York, and eventually she just wanted to go back to North Georgia in the mountains and said she just wanted to paint and paint and stay at home. And mm. you know, that's pretty much what I do now. I'm just like at home all the time, and I just, I just paint and work, and and I try to keep like a lot of influences away from me, you know, because I'm I'm trying to find that distilled your own voice. That yeah. Pure. A pure, pure expression. Some something that's just yeah, it just comes from me and my memory. And I I paint a lot 
I, I usually take my kids to school in the morning, you know. I drop them off around uh, 7 ish. I come home and get some coffee and read a little bit or something. And by 8 30, 9 30, I'm, I'm painting usually till uh, about 4 30 or 5. Mm. I try to do that about every day. I take some breaks, you know. Mm-hmm. I take some breaks, play with my dogs. I got a couple. Big ornery basset hounds. <laughs> I love the word ornery. Ornery. I love yeah. that word. I love it. Um, maybe in closing, to maybe someone who's listening to this podcast is not very familiar with folk art. Are there any? Um, are there some of your favorite folk artists that you want to just say maybe a little bit about them? Their names or heroes to you, or a good documentary about folk art. Like, who are some of your big artistic inspirations? Maybe you want to say a minute or two just about that anyone interested in this kind of a genre or things we've been talking about today or just your, your yeah, inspiration? Yeah, just real, just real folk artists, real folk people. You know, I grew I grew up around some. I'd mentioned, uh, you know, Hugo Spur- Sperger, uh, Tim Sizemore, um, Charlie Canny, uh, some of those Kentucky folk artists. Uh, they, they were folk uh, people that lived across the mountain from us. They're called the Hackworths. And... Uh, I mean, these were real folk people, man. They had a car that they, they made. It was a black, it was an old black falcon, and they painted all over that black falcon. And it had like a pheasants, red pheasants and stars on it. And, and it had stars on the inside of it too. And it and it and the red the red stood for like the red blood of Christ that was shed for the sins of man. And the stars had, you know, b- biblical meaning and stuff like that. And this car was messed up. Like they had the center pin that held held it, the frame and the, you know, I don't know how to describe it. They had welded it wrong. And when it came down the road, it looked like it was facing in toward the center lane. So, like, it was (laughs) off. It looks like it was going sideways. It looked like it was coming right at you, man, like it was going to cross the road and hit you. So they just put this car together by pieces and painted it up? Yeah, they just painted it up, man. (laughs) And that was was like folk art to them. And they made stuff out of they made stuff out of cans and stuff. And like somebody told me he they one day the the uh, the elderly lady that was part of their family, they had tied a rope around her waist, man, and tied the other end of that rope to the front of that car. And was and let her down over a steep hillside, so she could pick up a bunch of cans, and they collected them cans and pulled her up by that rope. Man, they were making stuff out of those cans. What? <laughs> yeah. So they were trying to just they yeah. were they were just trying to get to the cans. Yeah, they had all this like folksy stuff that they made. It was sitting out in the yard and. Like 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 uh, like bizarre like junkyard statues and shit. Yeah, like folk art that you'd see through the through the South. You know, yeah. that's that's when I like making big statues out of like old farm tools and stuff, and like welding metal together, like that kind of thing. Yeah, and it, I heard like uh, when they when they passed away, they had a they had a stack of wood that was so big it took like. I think it's like a month and a half to burn it, man. And they mm. just like burning the, <laughs> the fire burnt for the fire burnt for like <laughs> weeks, man. Just weeks, weeks. <laughs> so real characters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that's that's kind of what I'm talking about. Just things that you might think of when you travel through the South. These these folk arts. So I I grew artists. up in so I grew up in the suburbs, and I think that I there is a magic to the suburbs. Like, especially at night when you're, like, sneaking. or It's very quiet and peaceful, like, when you're sneaking around with your friends on bicycles, like, biking 
under the street lights and there's no cars and you're going to go see your girlfriend, you know, going, going through the woods. There, there was a magic in the suburbs that I felt as a kid, but it lacks all the, that wildness and it lacks the eccentrics. There was no like eccentric adults, you know, like what you're talking about. There were no like these, like these wild characters. You just didn't get characters. Yeah. I mean, there, to me, the wildness is either in cities and it's a different kind of wildness or the wildness is out in the country. Yeah. And at this point in my life, I really like the country version. Yeah. Well, that's, a, you know, that's my, that's what I tell people. You know, most of my education is from out behind the barn, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, uh, metaphorically speaking. And, and it's just, so, you know, I can't technically call myself a self-taught artist, but I'm, I'm self-taught enough, I think, because, you know, that's just the way I've went. And, uh, I've tried to learn from other sources other than like academic mm. resources. You know? mm.